Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. The Illuminate team and I have been hard at work crafting new episodes and stirring up a mix of spirited conversations to serve you. On tap for today is a special episode with an inspiring guest that was recorded on St. Patrick's Day. Before we dive in, I'd like to take a moment to wish my parents a very happy 50th wedding anniversary. Nicole Jagger and I are getting ready to join them, along with my brother, sister-in-law, and nephew, for some family time in the Outer Banks, North Carolina. So cheers to you, Bobby and Pete. Wishing you many more years of love and happiness. And now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. Well, now with the reduced days, we're working five less doctor days a month. I have the time to teach and still have the time for my family. But there's a lot of different whys. There's no right or wrong. And it's all about freeing up time. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Bill Dishinger. We've heard on several recent episodes how time truly is our most valuable asset. So how can we leverage recent advances such as artificial intelligence and the digital workflow in orthodontics to reclaim time not only for ourselves, but for our patients? Today I'm thrilled to shine a light on an orthodontic innovator who quite literally had some big shoes to fill. Dr. Bill Dishinger took over his father's practice in the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. Bill's father, Dr. Terry Dishinger, was not only a highly respected orthodontist, but an Olympic gold medalist in basketball and an NBA All-Star. Yet, to his credit, Bill has emerged from his father's impressive shadow to become a trailblazer in his own right. Bill is a speaker for both Ormco and Dental Monitoring and serves as an adjunct professor at the University of Pacific School of Dentistry. As you'll hear on today's episode, Bill has recently transformed his practice by incorporating aligner treatment and remote monitoring, allowing him to reclaim precious time to dedicate to his family while still delivering exceptional patient care. Well, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Bill? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. Anytime I can be in sunshine in Florida in March instead of being in Portland, Oregon, it's a win. Why don't you tell everyone why you're in town? It's interesting. I've been here for a while, uh, not in yeah. Tampa, but been in Florida for, gosh, over a week now. I was at the uh, Dolphin Users Meeting in Fort Lauderdale last week, and uh, and then I was going to be speaking as well at the Dental Monitoring Summit here in Tampa this week. And I thought, gosh, that's from Portland, Oregon to fly all the way to Florida, speak, fly all the way back, fly all the way back again. I, it's kind of silly. I mean, the airline miles would be awesome, to get me wrong, Yeah, but uh, I decided just to spend some time here in it's kind of weird and people might judge me and that's okay. But I spent like four days at Disney by myself, 51 <laughs> year old man. Yeah, I'm creepy. That's okay. I think it's cool. Uh, I loved it. I had a great time. What was your favorite part of Disney? You know, my goal was to ride the Guardians of the Galaxy, the new roller coaster at Epcot. I did that three times and it's an awesome ride. So, oh, sweet. yeah. So, if you're a roller coaster fan and you're a Guardians fan, it's cool. And then I did one day at Universal, actually. And rode the Velocicoaster, probably the best ride I've ever been on. Oh, it's very cool. phenomenal. So. Well, I know it's spring break, so I'm sure it was crowded over there. It was a little crowded, yeah. But, you know, you navigate your little iPhone app deal they got now, and you spend a little more money than you used to, but that's okay. Yeah, isn't technology wonderful? It can be. It can be. <laughs> <laughs> so it's St. Patrick's Day, believe it or not, mm-hmm. and uh, we are here with a nice glass of Guinness. And I believe you've actually been to the Guinness Distillery, right? I have actually. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I saw it. yeah. Super. Tell fun. us about that. Man, it was uh, as a bucket list. I happened to be in Ireland for a few days between. I was doing a couple talks over in Europe, and I'm a golfer, so I uh, thought, oh, let's. I'm going to go to Ireland for like these three free days I had, and, and played golf, and was staying in That's Dublin. Awesome. And I mean, you know, if you're in Dublin, you got to hit the Guinness, of course, the Guinness factory. And yeah, it was really cool. You, you like pour your own glass of Guinness and just see how it's all made and 
I bought, I don't know how many t-shirts. We're wearing one today, actually, my green one. I so, love it. Yeah, yeah. Now, does Guinness taste different in Ireland than it does in the States? It, it actually does. And, like, if you talk to Irish people, like, they won't even drink it in Scotland or Great Britain. They, like, Is that right? Like, they will only drink it in Ireland. Like, if they go outside of Ireland, they say it's not worth drinking. Do they give a reason, or is it just a pride thing? Well, it's kind of like... I don't know. It's like, you know, wine connoisseurs, you know, right. like, I know, hey, this red wine tastes good. I can't describe it. But, yeah, I like the red wine. They probably could. That's beyond my uh, my palate. So I'm a simple man. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if it was like the water, right? Like they say New York bagels are the best because of the water, the pizza, right? Yeah, because the water in New York's probably, you know, so. Oh, clean. delicious, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. With all the rats they have <laughs> there now. Anyway, Bill, I am honored to have you on the podcast today, uh, someone that I've been meaning to have on for a while, and I'm glad we're able to finally connect. We have lots of great topics to dive into. I want to talk about your early involvement with Damon Braces, the Herbst Appliance, and uh, more recently, you've transitioned your practice over to Spark Aligners and DM. So I think we have lots of great topics to dive into today. But before we do that, love to learn a little bit more about you, where you grew up, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so pretty much grew up in Portland, Oregon, uh, just a little suburb outside of Portland. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. My dad was in dental school in Memphis at the time, but Portland's truly my home, what I know and remember. Mm-hmm. Most people, I'm sure, know my dad, Terry Dishinger, was an orthodontist. And I never wanted to be an orthodontist growing up. I mean, sticking your hands in people's mouths, why would anybody want to do that? And, you know, orthodox was, it was a hard profession back then. I mean, he worked long hours and, you know, I didn't see him at home very much. So I didn't want to do that. I was going to go into business. Hmm. Let's see. It was the summer after my freshman year in college, his lab tech like quit, like no notice to saw son quit. Hmm. He said, Hey, you got your summer job lined up yet? And I had been lazy, didn't have it set up yet. And I mean, that was one thing. Our family, us kids, we always had summer jobs. So I didn't have my job lined up yet, and he says, well, okay, this is what you're doing. You're going to be working in the lab and doing this, that, and the other, and I was not excited. I thought I was going to suck, and I did it, and, and I loved it. The lab stuff was you know, actually fun, but what I saw was orthodontics wasn't sticking your hands in people's mouths. I mean, you, you do, but it was really fun. You were a business owner, which right. that really resonated with me at the time, and you were working with people, talking with people, having fun with this team, you know, the camaraderie. I just fell in love with it and changed my major that summer. And, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Went to Tufts for my orthodox residency back in Boston. Mm-hmm. Fell in love with Boston. Go Pats. You know, everybody hates that, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but we're down in the Tampa area and, you know, Tom yeah, Brady. Oh, it's you know. acceptable here. Yep, yeah. yep. We almost stayed. I mean, we just fell in love with the Northeast, but all of our families back in Oregon. And, you know, obviously I was supposed to go back and work with my dad. Yeah. And, you know, so glad that we did. And we moved back and I joined my dad's practice, eventually buying it from him. And we worked together for 12 years and he's been retired for 12 years now. And it was amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about your dad because, you know, you mentioned it and maybe not everybody knows the story. Maybe like 20 years ago, I think people would be more familiar with your father. But, you know, why don't you tell everyone uh, who your dad is? Yeah, well, Terry Dishinger, my dad. No, (laughs) Um, I grew up on many levels. Dishinger, Dishinger, and I'd just say, yep, yeah, Terry's my dad. <laughs> and he was an amazing basketball player. So he was a three-time All-American at Purdue. Uh, he still ranks way up in the top in a lot of categories in Big Ten scoring and rebounding. He's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame, played on the 1960 Olympic team with uh, Jerry West and uh, Oscar Robertson and you know some of the greats. They were considered the greatest basketball team ever until the 92 Dream Team. Right, yeah, I read yeah, that. And yeah. they won the gold medal too, they won right? The gold in Rome. Medal. Yep, won the gold medal in Rome. Their team is in the Hall of Fame. They inducted them and the 92 Dream Team together as, so as the cool. two greatest teams ever assembled. Yeah, he was an amazing basketball player. And he was Rookie of the Year in 1963. Incredible. Three-time All-Star. And then he got drafted in the Army. So after three years of playing pro ball, he got drafted in the Army. I mean, the guy lived a charmed life. He was stationed in Hawaii, hmm. had a little house they rented on the beach. I mean, come on. That was his two-year stint in the Army. <laughs> and then uh, came back to the pros, and first year back, he blew his knee, and he kept playing. He played nine seasons over 11 years because of the two-year break in the Army, but uh, he was never quite the same after that. Gotcha. So the draft, that must have been Vietnam, right? Yeah, he saw no, no, Viet- but- no Vietnam. He saw Hawaii. <laughs> 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 well, I guess that was a good trade-off. Yeah. My boys call him Forrest Gump because he's like just done everything. Like he's everything he's touched, he's yeah. been successful. Was that hard? Like I imagine in a way we're almost like in your father's like shadow, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. you've really developed a name of your own. But was that like a challenge coming into the practice? 
when you have a, a father that's famous or successful or whatever, I think you can look at it two ways. And you can either look at it as a burden to try to live up to, mm-hmm. or you look at it as a blessing of someone that can be your mm-hmm. mentor and be your example and, and your leader. My brother was really great at really talking about that and just saying, because of who my dad was, I've gotten to do so many great things or meet so many people and have these amazing experiences. And that's really how I look at it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because, I mean, I'd be lying if there weren't days that you kind of felt that kind of burden or, hey, I want to be my own person. I mean, it, I think anybody has that with any father, but um, sure. the blessings were far, far greater than, than any drawback. Yeah. And, you know, I read something, I think it was in an interview, and I thought this was particularly touching, but your dad said working with you was his all-time greatest assist. (laughs) I hear that every once in a while, and I forget that he's said that. And yeah, so it always touches me when he says that. It's pretty special to work with, you know, work with your father, for sure. And how's your dad doing now? Uh, Not too good. Not too good, unfortunately. So he's got Alzheimer's. Uh, We just moved him into memory care a couple weeks ago. And I'm sorry. That's where we are and where we're headed. My so. uh, my grandfather had Alzheimer's, and it's just such a devastating disease. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, terrible. it's terrible. Yeah. Are so. you still able to? I know for a period of time you guys were like golfing and uh, you know at least going to lunch and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I live in Oregon, so don't really play a whole lot of golf in the wintertime. I mean, you can, but I mean, who wants to? Um, so, so we haven't been golfing, but the retirement home that my parents live in is two blocks from my office. And so I typically will have lunch like once a week and just kind of bop over there and hang out or take him to a lot of blazer games. So, uh, he played his last year in Portland. That's actually how we wound up in Portland. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they have lifelong tickets for alumni. And, um, so I'll take him to a game. We'll go to the first half and then we leave at halftime because it's a little too much for him to do a whole game. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we get to spend a lot of time. I think you told me that he was like even a color commentator That's for the right. Blazers, yeah. right? For their championship season. Yeah, yeah. So when he was in his ortho residency, he was the color guy, the radio, you know, like they have the main broadcaster. He was yeah. the second guy on the radio. He did that for, I think, three years. So he did it his two years of residency and his first year starting his practice. Any basketball fans out there would probably know his name. Bill Shonley was the radio guy for the Blazers, world famous. He came up with the phrase Rip City and, and just oh, everything. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, every broadcast, Bill Shonley would go, I'm here with uh, Lake Oswego's best orthodontist, Terry Dishinger, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, oh, wow. Again, That's Forrest crazy. Gump. It's like, really? Come on. Yeah. And I even saw this recently when I went on YouTube to try to maybe find some old clips of your dad playing. You can unlock him in the NBA 2K video. Did you know this? <laughs> yes. He's, yeah. They, they, I mean, like, the, there's been huge videos out. It's, it's like he's the dentist. The dentist, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. Why can't he be the orthodontist? Yeah, but I yeah. mean, so have your kids, like, I don't know if they play. Yeah. Games, my, my kids weren't really NBA 2K guys. Yeah. But I had tons of friends. They were sending me videos of their kids, like, trying to unlock him and freaking out when they did. So, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it was like a really hard one to get. And it was like a big deal if you got him. So. Yeah. That's what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. So speaking of your dad, I always associated his name with the Herbst Appliance, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people call him kind of the American father of the Herbst Appliance. Hmm. And he saw uh, Hans Panchiers, I butchered that name. I, I should know. It's a German name and I'm German, but... Um, but It sounded good to me. <laughs> okay. All right. So he had kind of re-brought back the Herbst Appliance. The Herbst had been invented back in the 30s and kind of disappeared. And Panchiers brought it back in the 70s. And then mm-hmm. he came to the AEO in Atlanta, I think it was 1979, and presented it. And at that time, my dad, you know, had all these class twos. He couldn't get corrected. You know, he was trying bionators and different stuff, headgears. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those. I had a bionator headgear that never Sounds saw fun. the light of day. It was in my backpack all the time. <laughs> and um, so I was actually one of his first Herps patients that, oh, he, is that, that right? he did it on. Yeah. And over time, he developed what we now know as the cantilever herps. So on the lower sixes, the, the arms that come forward, that was mm-hmm. his design. Never patented it, unfortunately. Oh, no. But uh, that was his invention. And then eventually, when I was in the practice together, we developed the advanced sink uh, herps mm-hmm. appliance with Ormco, which is smaller, just kind of hooks up molar to molar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, herps was a big part of my life, you know, growing up. And then that's he taught on that all over the world. And I mean, everywhere I go, people come up to me and, hey, I took your dad's herps course, or I've been in your office and, you know, and learned the herps from him. And yeah. and that's how I started teaching orthodontics was being with him and his courses that he taught. And I would, you know, help him teach the herps courses. And that's how I got into 
Interesting. Know, doing some of my teaching. Yeah, I was reading a little bit this morning, reading up on the herps, and uh, I guess it was a, a German orthodontist, Emil Herps, Emil, yep. Emil Herps, yep. mm-hmm. who invented it. And the original design was sort of like upper molars to lower canine, right? Either or canine lower or first by, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I think Pancheras was doing something similar, but instead mm-hmm. of using bands, it was more like crowns at that point. Exactly, right? yeah. And that's what I had. I had it on the first premolar. So I had that design. And then my dad was the first one to ever put it on the lower molars. And that's how he came up with that design. I believe your dad also introduced you, or or maybe you introduced him to Damon, right? Yeah, I think it was kind of a mutual thing. So I was at Tufts, and Dwight Damon came and gave a two-day seminar at Tufts. I mean, the thing that really got me is he talked about biology. He basically spent almost an entire day talking about biology, and just how we move teeth and the, the force levels. And I remember walking out of that just thinking, that is just makes so much sense. Yeah. And then he was just showing these cases that were obviously amazing. And I got out of that conference and I called my dad and I said, and my dad was friends with Dwight Damon and Dwight's son, Paul, and I actually knew each other way back in junior high and oh, wow. to this day are good friends. I called my dad and I said, hey, I think you need to hear Dwight and just see what he's doing with this new appliance. And my dad kind of laughs. He says, actually, he's coming to our office next week and he's going to show it to us and <laughs> and do some training with us. And so he came to my dad's office the next week and did the training. My dad then, same thing, called me. He's like, oh my gosh, this, yeah, this is the future. This is what we're going to do. And so it was just a few months later, I graduated Tufts and joined my dad and we learned together on how to use the appliance. And so that was like the first generation Damon bracket, right? It was. It was enormous. Part. The doors fell off. And yeah, it was rough sledding at the start, but um, it still would work, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you just saw what it could be. Obviously, they had new iterations come out that were, you know, worked so much better and were smaller and the gate stayed on. And I don't think Dwight gets the credit he deserves mm-hmm. in the orthodontic community for changing the thinking, the mentality. You look at most orthodontists nowadays and their first thought is, how can I treat this non-extraction? True. And doesn't mean that everything can or should be treated in extraction. I'm not saying that, but I do think that that is more the mentality. And that was not the mentality when I was in my residency at all. It was four on the floor, huh? Yep, yep. I think Dwight was a big part of changing that. And, you know, you look at orthodontics today, I mean, every company has a self-ligating bracket now. It's true. That's because of him. And to be clear, I don't think he necessarily invented self-ligation, but it, it was certainly an improvement, right? Correct. He, he was the one that made it more user-friendly. And then to Ormco's credit, well, I mean, I, I don't know if credit's the right word. I mean, they saw an opportunity. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, they marketed it worldwide, and it became very well accepted and to the point where other companies had to develop one to, to stay competitive with, with Ormco. Yeah, so interesting. When we come back in just a moment... How a quote from Ted Lasso was the spark to change Bill's practice mindset. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Strauman Group. Did you know that Strauman Group, the global powerhouse in implant dentistry, acquired ClearCorrect, Bay Materials, and the digital workflow software Dental Wings to make major advances in the orthodontic market? And Bay Materials Innovation of Zendera Flex launched ClearCorrect's Clear Quartz technology, a third-generation, state-of-the-art, tri-layer and stain-resistant plastic that increases predictability of movement and patient comfort. With a high trim line for improved retention and intuitive software, ClearCorrect is your premier partner for orthodontics. This is how Strauman Group does ortho. Learn more at clearcorrect.com. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Bill Dishinger. So, you know, we were chatting, and I believe more recently with the COVID pandemic, you've gotten more into aligners, right? Why don't you tell us about your practice transition? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was one of those docs that, you know, used aligners in my practice because I had to. You know, I had that segment of patients that the only way that they were going to have treatment is if I did clear aligners for them. But I wanted to treat people with braces. I was mentored by Dwight, as I said, uh, my dad. Tom Pitts was a big mentor of mine. I taught with Stuart Frost at University of Pacific for a long time. We all know those guys' cases are just ridiculously amazing. Yeah. 
So that was the bar that I tried to set. I'm not saying that I got there, but that was what I was trying to achieve. And I just, in my hands with clear liners, I'd struggled to achieve those results. So in 2018, Ormco came out with Spark and they asked me if I would do some testing on it for them. And I don't know why they asked me because, I mean, I'm, I wasn't a clear liner guy. Maybe that's why they asked me because they figured if it was good for me, then it must be good for everybody. Um, but early on, I just I saw some things different that I hadn't seen before. I saw some successes that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And I started getting a little bit more aggressive in some of the cases I was using it with. Decided I was going to learn how to use clear liners. And, yeah. you know, so when I say that I struggled, it was just me. I just I never really put in the time and the effort to learn how to do it and be good at it. But that really opened the door to me. And for all of us, I know when COVID happened, we saw the difference of how we could keep our patients tracking along and and moving forward that were in aligners compared to those that have braces. I mean, I live in Oregon. I mean, we were shut down for a long time. Right. And then we got back and just all the hygiene problems with the brackets, all the broken brackets, just everything. And I saw the simplicity of it. It really gave me the paradigm shift and the push I needed to realize, okay, this is where I want to head to. Very cool. I want to circle back to something you said about, you know, just being open to aligners when you didn't really do a ton of them or maybe didn't feel comfortable. But you said this in your lecture and it was sort of like, guess, an underlying theme, but it was a quote from Walt Whitman, which I have to repeat because I loved it. Be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. Right? What does that mean to you? I've never read Walt Whitman, but uh, Ted Lasso uh, was the one that, <laughs> that, that gave me that quote. So uh, uh, for those Ted Lasso fans out the there. The new season just came yeah, out. I know, I know. Can't wait to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if you know, you know. But yeah, I realized I had thought I had been non-judgmental. I used to rail about not being judgmental in orthodontics when I would be lecturing on Damon and the change of that philosophy. But yet I didn't practice what I preached and I was mm-hmm. totally judgmental about clear liners, and I was not curious about learning how to get good at them. Yeah, so Ted Lasso, that quote was during our shutdown during COVID uh, when Ted Lasso dropped, and it just resonated with me. That quote has stuck with me, and I live by it every day now. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Spark. So I know for a period of time you were an Invisalign user, like I guess most of us were, right? Because there there weren't too many. There was nothing else. Was that in clear correct, right? So there were certainly a lot of Invisalign users back in the day, but what specifically attracted you to Spark? You know, initially, uh, like I said, I tried it out just because, you know, Ormco asked me to do some trialing with it. But, you know, early on, Ormco and Spark, they talked to me about what the difference was in their plastic. And their plastic is made a little bit differently that it doesn't stretch out or distort over time as much as some of the other companies that are out there. Mm -hmm. And so it retains its form. You know, think of it like a nighttime wire. Mm -hmm. That's important because we're taking our aligners on and off the teeth you know, multiple times a day over attachments and everything. So you want it to not get distorted. Also, since they're a newer company, their printers are newer and Mm. their print resolution is a lot higher than what other companies that have been around for a while have. It's just printers are, you know, uber expensive. So to switch out full assembly lines just doesn't happen. But if you're a newer company and you're having to buy the new ones, you're going to have better technology. For those of us that do in-house printing and in-house aligners, you know that your print quality is not as good. I mean, you can set it at certain microns, but then it takes you, you know, seven days to print a model. But so you combine the plastic being a little bit more resilient yeah. with a better print quality. You then have a, a liner that fits the tooth better and holds on to the teeth and the attachments better over that week-long wear. So what we found in our office, we found the teeth tracking at a better rate than what we were seeing before. So I wasn't having those patients coming in with those laterals that had never moved and just all those issues and doing refinement after refinement after refinement. So I saw success early on with it and it encouraged me to then learn and get better with it. And it's been a total game changer in our practice. Interesting. So, you know, you mentioned the plastic and the fit. How do they do their trim line with Spark? Yeah, so a little bit different. They will cut it with that robot And then they actually, they hand polish every single aligner, which they are committed to always doing that. We took 10 patients and flipped them from Invisalign to Spark at the start. And we wanted to get some feedback, like, was this different, whatever. And, you know, Spark had some claims that their plastic was more clear, had a little bit better clarity. And it does, doesn't pick up stain as much. But one of the things that we found early on that we hadn't even been thinking about was the way that it's cut, the way that Invisalign uses that kind of hot blade or laser to cut it, it leaves like that little lip on it. Yeah. Yeah. And those of you that have had Invisalign, you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, especially right behind your upper incisors, your tongue feels it. And immediately, like the patients would put the aligner in and as they were putting it in, they're like, oh my gosh, this is night and day difference on how it feels to my tongue. Interesting. I mean, that was kind of fun just to see that. We weren't expecting that. So the feedback from the patients was really good too. 
Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the Approver software. So how was that transitioning from ClinCheck over to Approver? You know, it was actually really easy. So if anybody's ever seen Insignia software that Mm -hmm. Ormco had, it's essentially the same software. A lot of people don't know the story, but way back in the day, Ormco sued Invisalign over the ClinCheck software, saying they had infringed on the patents of Insignia and actually won the lawsuit. It wasn't a settlement. They actually won the lawsuit. Hmm. So ClinCheck software is actually a little bit different than it was originally. So kind of the user interface and the ease of use, it's really kind of intuitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not a computer geeky guy, and uh, I'm not a gamer. For me, it took me just a couple cases to really get used to it and really be adept at it. Because you're not a gamer, you haven't figured out how to unlock your dad's character in the approver software, basically. No, I'd have no idea. <laughs> no, one of my boys had me play uh, Lego Star Wars with him on the Xbox just a couple weeks ago. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. No idea. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> Recently, you hit over a thousand cases with Spark, right? I did, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, at this point, I imagine... I think that's better for Ormco than it is for me, but yeah. But, well, I feel like at this point, you're probably feeling pretty comfortable with the plastic. I will say, I, I learned something from every case. Anytime you have a case that doesn't track like it's supposed to, that's one of the things I really love about aligners, is you have the time to look at, okay, what wasn't working and why? Because you're on your computer working at it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we have people in braces, we have something not quite working right. You're trying to figure out, but you're in the chair. You got other chairs waiting for you. There's a little more pressure and time constraints to really dive into that case. I, I love the ability to sit back and analyze the case. Why is this not working right? right? So I'm always learning every day with the liners, and that's exciting to me. I really love just constantly getting better. Two quotes from people. Dwight Damon says he's never treated the perfect case. Hmm. I think that's you know awesome to hear from yeah, someone like yeah. that. Tiger Woods says he never played the perfect round of golf. Mm-hmm. There's always something you could have done better. Right. And you have to be careful because you can't, you know, always be thinking about the negatives. Kind of like us, you know, you get to right. the end of the day and you remember that one bad patient that day. You right. know, you had 80 great patients, but you remember that one bad patient. So, you know, the reason I mentioned the thousand cases was, you know, one of the big reasons I've never switched from Invisalign is I've been an Invisalign provider for 15 years. So in my mind, I know all the little overcorrections or tweaks I want to make to get that final occlusion. Imagine at this point, you feel like pretty comfortable, you know, of course, tweaking and getting better with Spark. Yeah. And I think that the nice thing is when you switch a clear liner company, it's not like going from like a twin bracket to a self-ligating bracket or whatever, or a whole new wire system or a different slot size. It's close to apples to apples, you know, mm-hmm. it really is. So you take all the protocols you have with whatever liner company you're with and you put it into the new one and you do those same protocols. And as you treat a few cases, you might see, okay, I might not have to do as much overcorrection there. Or maybe with this, I have to do a little bit more overcorrection than I mm-hmm. used to. And But it's subtle. I mean, they're all real similar as far as, you know, getting your case setups and everything. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. So, Bill, I do want to chat about dental monitoring because, again, I know you're in town for the dental monitoring summit here. Uh, When did you start using DM? We started in August of 21. So, I mean, we've only been in it for 19, 20 months now. Okay. So not, not not a super long time, but I will say long enough to have changed my life. And why do you say that? It's, well, first of all, the technology is truly amazing. A lot of people think it's just people taking pictures of their teeth and then you looking at them. And it's not that at all. It's, it's truly an artificial intelligence driven company. It's really a data company is what it is. So the ability for us to scale is phenomenal with this technology we have. And mm. I did it for purely selfish reasons. I mean, fully admit that. I saw a lecture by Dr. John Warford, Orthodox of South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And he was showing how he was starting 600 new clear liner patients a year, plus braces patients, but 600 new clear liner patients a year, which, I mean, my practice is not nearly that big. And he was working nine doctor days a month. Wow. And his whole lecture, all he basically did was kept showing himself working on his farm. You know, he didn't even hardly talk about his practice. It was talking (laughs) about his life. Yeah. Which really resonated to me. It was that. And I was like, okay, dude, sign me up for that. How do I achieve that? I was working 16 days a month. Mm-hmm. We were running six chairs. But I work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I felt like I was missing out a lot at home. You know, I this isn't a knock on my dad, but I don't remember a lot of my dad growing mm. up. You know, he just, he was running his practice. He was really busy. And, you know, orthodontics, it was not easy back in the 70s and 80s. And even in the 90s, orthodontists had to work really hard to do what they did. And you had to be like in the mouth. Right? In the mouth, yep. Yeah, I mean, I told a story the other night that I used to be a caddy at our little country club where we live, and 
my dad never played on Thursday afternoons. He played Saturday mornings, but never played Thursday afternoons. And I would ask him, why are you not out here with your buddies on Thursday afternoon? And he would say, well, I mean, my job is different. I can't leave the office like they can. If they leave the office, things are still happening. If I leave the office, it stops. And I have to be in the office to be making money. If I'm out of the office, we're not making any money. That stuck with me my going into my career as well. And nowadays with dental monitoring, just all sorts of different things, we don't have to be in the mouth to be making money. Right. And it's great that we're starting to realize that as orthodontists too, Mm -hmm. that we can still treatment plan and envision the case, but especially with digital workflow and remote monitoring, we're able to do that. I think we can do it better. I think with the technology that we have, I mean, 3D digital treatment planning, whether you're using clear aligners or you're using, you know, on-demand braces or, you know, light force, whatever it is. I mean, 3D digital planning is just what we can plan and do and pull off is amazing. Yeah. And then you factor in the dental monitoring that we're doing. Our patients are being seen every week. I mean, they're truly being seen every week, but yet they don't have to come into our office until we need them to come in when their teeth need us to do something to them. Right. It's on-demand orthodontics. As you know, we did a podcast with Glenn Krieger, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I was joking with Glenn. I said, Glenn, you're not that cool. People don't want to see you. You know, and I was making Glenn fun. Glenn was but upset about that. He was upset. He was upset. <laughs> He's like, oh, what are you talking about? Life is busy. People yeah. don't have time to come into our practice as many times as we're making them do it. It's a disservice what we're doing mm. by making them come into our practice. Everybody, you know, here's dental monitoring, and it's just like, oh, it's about the doctor taking more time off. Well, yeah, that's an awesome benefit from it if you choose to use it for that. But truly, the benefit is for the patient. And we really talk that up in our new patient consults, you know, because they always say, okay, so how often do I have to come in? Well, if it's a clear aligner patient, okay, well, we're going to give you, let's say, 30 aligners. We, you know, as long as things are tracking along nicely, we will see you in 30 weeks, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe a little bit longer, depending on if they get held up here or there. If things aren't going well with the aligners, dental monitors picking up on that, we'll bring them in a little bit sooner. We'll do a mid-course correction. But we're doing a mid-course correction right when they start going off track. Right. As opposed to, hey, I was on 10-week intervals. Things started mistracking, let's say, at week three. We had no idea, though. Now we're seven weeks behind. Now we got to not only make up those seven weeks, but then the seven weeks that we lost, and it just snowballs. Yeah. So the ability to keep people on track, it's the tortoise versus the hare. You know, we might pull them back a little bit, but in the end, we're going to be more efficient in getting them to the end result faster. Yeah. And I thought that was super cool from your talk on Wednesday was that you are catching these cases that are going off track and either having them, you know, wear the current aligner a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know, before proceeding past go, or like you said, reaching out and having them come into the office instead of sort of spinning your wheels. Yeah. I mean, I showed that one case where we had this one teenage, it's always teenage boys, right? Mm -hmm. This one teenage boy, and he'd done great the first three weeks, week four, got a little cocky. And all of a sudden, dental monitoring showed that he wasn't ready to move to liner number five. He had a tooth that wasn't tracking. We held him, made him wear a little bit longer. He got better at wearing it again, rescanned, and he was good to go on. Every month, this kid would do that. Every month, this kid would be doing really well. And then after about three, four weeks, start falling off. But every week, we held him up. And he got all the way to liner number 32, which is where we wanted him to be. And we brought him in. And I mean, the case was essentially done. But if we hadn't caught it at week four, I'd still be treating this kid. He'd still be not even close to where he's supposed to be because we wouldn't know if it was, was my setup not very good or is this tooth just a hard tooth to move or is he not wearing his liners? Because, you know, they all tell you they're wearing their liners. Oh, of course. But now we have the proof, <laughs> yeah. you know, because we can see that, okay, all of a sudden you stopped wearing your liners as much as you're supposed to, and the teeth stopped tracking well. Mm-hmm. It wasn't our setup. And, yeah, we're going to finish this kid in, you know, a year of treatment, whereas before DM I would have been treating this kid for two years, probably never getting the same result. Yeah. He's mad. Mom's mad. I'm mad. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting because I was talking about this with my team after the talk on Wednesday, but in the initial series of aligners, an unseat usually is very obvious in that like the trays aren't fitting if they're not wearing it, right? But by the time you're on a refinement, additional aligners, whatever you want to call it, and the movements are more subtle, that tray's probably going to fit. And unfortunately, if they come in and, you know, the team's like, hey, looks great, everything's on track. And as the doctor, we also say everything's great, on track, but they've only been wearing it to bed and maybe around the house. 
we're sort of reinforcing like, hey, you're doing a great job with this. Yeah. When, as you know, the more you wear those aligners, the more the teeth will express and move those finer movements. So I thought that was really cool about the AI technology, how it can really hone in on specific teeth and notice non-tracking. It's amazing. We'll get a notification of a non-tracking tooth and I'll just kind of glance at the picture. I'm like, really, is that not tracking? And then I'll blow the picture up big. I'm like, oh yeah, that really isn't tracking. It's one that if I'd seen them in the mouth, you know, because let's be honest, when you bring people in for a aligner check, it's quick, you know, it's those appointments that you don't have to spend a lot of time at the chair. It might not be, you might just be your staff checking it. You're not as careful as you really need to be most of the time. Whereas this AI, it's catching things that we would have missed for sure. When we come back in just a moment, how Bill has incorporated dental monitoring for his braces patients, how these new technologies have freed up time to spend with his family, and we geek out about our favorite galaxy far, far away. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Retainer Club. Dr. Blair Feldman is an orthodontist and co-founder of Retainer Club. I interviewed Dr. Feldman in episode 18 and learned about the incredible benefits that a successful retainer replacement program can bring to your practice. The best part is you don't have to invent and manage your own system. Retainer Club uses their state-of-the-art technology to provide a program that is simple for your practice and profitable. Your patients will love that they can maintain their results with easy, affordable online retainer replacement. Stop wasting valuable staff and chair time with an office-managed program and let Retainer Club software bring focus and profitability to your practice. Learn more at retainerclub.com slash illuminate. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Bill Dishinger. And I know you started with DM with specifically with the aligners, but then you actually went into your braces cases as well, right? Yeah, I was definitely a doubter on the braces. I was like, I don't, I still got to see the patient. You know, this isn't going to save me any time. Or why am I going to spend the money for dental monitoring on something that's not saving me anything? I had like an epiphany moment where I was out of town and we had this patient that a wire came loose and the patient wanted to come in because it was poking. Team tells me, hey, he's got an appointment in two weeks. What do you want to do? So I look at the pictures. He's ready for the wire change. I said, well, instead of just putting that wire back in, go ahead and do his wire change now and we'll cancel that appointment in two weeks. Okay, so we just saved an appointment because if we hadn't had dental monitoring, we would have just put the wire back in because yeah. I was out of town at that mm-hmm. time and we would have him back in two weeks and change the wire. Not only would it have been an extra appointment for us, it would have been an extra appointment for them as right. well to come in for. So now what we do, and we're starting to do, even with our braces, we're doing appointment on demand. But before that, what we do is two weeks before their wire change, I would look in their DM, see where the wires are. Do we need to activate open cold spring? Do we need to change wires? How's the rubber bands doing? We're on bite correction. I will then put all those notes in. Uh, we use Microsoft Teams is what we use for that. And then we can schedule the kid on a non-doctor day, actually. Or a doctor day, but if it's on a doctor day, I'm just doing a fly-by high. I've already seen the kid, seen him in more detail than I'm going to see actually looking in his mouth. And it just makes us so much more efficient. We don't have surprises come in anymore. You know, the boy that comes in, and I'm sorry to hammer on the boys. I got four of them, and I'm a boy, so I feel like legitly I can do it. It's but it, it's always the boys. And they come in and they got three brackets off. And you're like, hey, how long have these brackets been off? I don't know, like maybe a week or two after I saw you. And this is eight weeks later. And you're like, dude, right. pick up the phone, call us. Right. And then the teeth are back a mile, right? Yeah. And you can't do the wire change. So now you, you just lost three months of treatment, added more appointments on there. So now if a bracket's loose, we're on it. We get them in right away. But even aside from that, it's disruptive when a patient comes in and you have to do something you weren't planning on doing on them that day. Right. We don't have those anymore. Like if a patient's coming in for a wire change, we know if they have a bracket off because we've already picked it up. And, you know, it's, maybe we picked it up and we're like, okay, their appointment's in a week. We'll just fix that when they come in. But we plan for it. We know for it. So our schedule is much more consistent throughout the day now as well. Yeah. Well, just to be devil's advocate here for a second, do you ever give out the scan boxes and like, you know, the teenage boys just don't use them? Yeah, there's definitely some people that we struggle with to get them to take the scans. Apparently, we are the best in the country at scan rate. Hey, nice. Um, So I have two team members in particular that are in charge of our dental monitoring. 
and they are just on top of it. What happens is if we have someone miss a scan, they get a notification sent just through dental monitoring through the app. If they miss the scan again or, or don't you know get it done like we've asked them to do, then we follow up with an email and then we will follow up with a phone call. If they're still not following through, we will then bring them into the office. And at that point, it's like you've been called in the principal's office. <laughs> And it's on a doctor day. It's me. We'll sit down with the kid and the parent or, you know, sometimes it's it's adults, too, that we have to bring in. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, okay, at this point, I can't deliver the care that I want to without you taking the scans. It's going to lower the quality care that I'm delivering to you. It's going to extend the length of your treatment time. And if you don't get on board with this, that's what's going to happen. So we have a couple choices. Either you get on board and we work together and we have a partnership. Two, you don't get on board, and I'll treat you and hopefully get you done before you get married. Or three, we decide to part ways, and we'll figure out what your refund is at this point. And, you know, no judgment. It's okay. It's, it's not for everybody. And How's that conversation go? It goes great. You know, first of all, the parents, like some of the parents, they're part of the problem too, because some of them aren't just following up at home. Some of them, though, they've said, hey, it's up to the kid to do this. I don't want one more thing on my plate. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. It takes five minutes, one time a week to take a scan. It's, I mean, really? You can't find five minutes. But their, their phone's always in their hand anyway. Exactly, like yeah. Kids are taking selfies all day long. So, you know, yeah. just throw it into the little holder and take, you know, mouse selfie. But usually it goes really well. Uh, the parents, you can see in their face this look of appreciation of backing them up of probably what they've already been saying at home. It's not them that's getting on the kid. It's an outside person, which typically resonates better, but at the same time allows them not to have to be the bad person. Mm -hmm. You know, with the kids, usually most of them figure it out. And I think the key is talking about how this is going to extend your treatment longer. You're going to be in treatment longer than you need to. And if you just get with this, I'll get you done fast. I'll get you out of these things. It's gone really well. I've had a couple that, you know, if it's an aligner patient, will say, you know, this just isn't working for us. Can we switch to braces? Yeah, you can totally switch to braces. In our office, we charge $300 more for braces than we do for aligners. Oh, really? Yep. Do it for a couple of reasons. One, I want people in aligners. Mm -hmm. uh, me personally, and you don't have to agree with this, but for me personally, I do think it's a better way to treat nowadays, uh, just from a hygiene standpoint alone. Mm -hmm. So I would prefer to have them in aligners. So I want to give an incentive. It's not a discount. Our aligner treatment is what our treatment fee is. It's an upcharge to do braces. The way that we explain that to them is if you do braces, you're going to come into our office more often. We're going to see you more than we do with aligners. And that's our most expensive cost is our time. And so you're going to have to pay us a little bit more for our time, which is totally fine. And I'm totally good with that. The nice thing about that is if they do wash out on aligners and we have to switch them to braces, it's a $300 charge. Hey, remember how when we started, if you were going to do braces, it's going to cost you $300 more? We're just going to charge you that same fee. So you're not losing out any money than you would have at the start. Now, for me, is that probably fair as a practice owner and business owner? It's not. But at the end of the day, do you want to take an extra $500 from somebody and then have them be mad at your practice and never say anything good about your practice out in the community? Or do you want them to almost cover your costs and make a fan out of them? Because you did them a solid. Yeah. You know, so that's how I look at that. And you felt like you haven't lost many patients by having that sort of upcharge of braces? No, we haven't lost anybody that, I mean, I guess I say that I'm aware of. It doesn't seem like we have. And we were a little bit worried about that at the start. But people look at you and they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And when you explain something to someone and you get that, yeah, that makes sense, you know that you're good. Yeah. So. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, we talked about the DM in terms of patient convenience, and like you said, the side benefit was sort of, you know, the doctor gaining more time. And, you know, you can use that time to maybe open another practice or maybe devote more time to your family, right? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite things is there's a book called The Ant and the Elephant. In the story, the elephant's trying to get to, like, utopia. The ant's supposed to, like, guide him. But one of the things they say is you have to know why you're going on a journey. Like, why, like for us— with dental monitoring. Why are you making the change? It's not just bringing in new technology. You have to know why you're doing it. And as I stated for me, it was, I saw John Warford and I saw his schedule and, and I wanted that. It's not for everybody though. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that they need more time to grow their practice. They don't have the space and the capacity or the time to even grow the practice right now. They're maxed mm -hmm. out. We have reduced 28% doctor appointments. So we have 28% less doctor appointments than what we had two years ago. I mean, hmm. 
that's a big change. That's a, yeah, a huge change. What's that do to free you up to grow your practice, to start a satellite, to buy another practice, to do another business, whatever it is? Mm. For me, it, it's time at home. Yeah. Time to do this. Used to be that if I was going to do this, I was taking time away from my family because I couldn't close my practice. Travel time to teach was taken out of family time. Mm-hmm. Well, now with the reduced days, we're working five less doctor days a month. I have the time to teach and still have the time for my family. But there's a lot of different whys. There's no right or wrong. And it's all about freeing up time. I think that's wonderful. You mentioned your family. Tell us a little bit more about them. Yeah. So uh married my high school sweetheart. She's unbelievably amazing. Uh, she's done an amazing job training me as a husband <laughs> um, in a good way. I say that, you know, flippantly, but she has certainly helped me become a better man than I was before I entered marriage with her. We have four boys. We had two boys and uh, my wife's an only child. Her mom's an only child. So, you know, three generations oh, wow. of super close women. So her dream was always to have a daughter. So after our two boys, one more shot at having yep. a daughter, and we had twin boys. That's how it works out, right? <laughs> yep, yep. So we have four boys now. And she wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, she's a total boy mom and just loves it. She's still girly girly, but, you know, she can rough and tough it. She's definitely learned the art of sarcasm. And um, so it's great. Uh, my oldest awesome. son is a senior in college. He's in Los Angeles. This whole thing is he wants to try to work for Disney. He wants to be an Imagineer. For oh, Disney, that's so, so he's cool. a, yeah, he's a storyteller and wants to tell the stories within the parks. Uh, he's also writing screenplays and books and stuff. So I love that Imagineer documentary. Yeah, obviously. yeah, it was awesome. And uh, second son that is a freshman in college, he actually said he was going to be in Orthodox for many, many years. Uh, he's changed his mind. He's going to go into finance. You know, the cost of education for orthodontics right now is really a barrier for a lot of people. It's really sad what's going on with the cost. Right. And uh, I worry for our specialty hmm. with what's going on with that. That's a, a whole nother, I mean, you could do a whole podcast on that. Yes, I could. Um, so he changed that. And I have twins that are sophomores in high school. They're both autistic. Um, that's mm-hmm. been a different world for us. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're both amazing and unique in their own way. But it's hard. It's a struggle. Uh, life is hard for them. You know, and as a parent, when you have a special needs child, you can look at it in a few different ways. And the most common is the woe is me. Why were we given this kid or why did our kid have this? We went through those times. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, But we had kind of a mindset turn. And I can't specifically remember when it was. But we started looking at it that these kids had us given to them because we can take care of them and we can love them. We give them the love that they need that we can help get them the the therapies that they need. I'm a crier and I'm I'm trying not to cry right now, but Mm -hmm. I truly believe that we were given to them for a reason. And they were given for us for a reason too. They dealing with everything they have to deal with has made us better people. We're much better parents because of it. Uh, Our older boys would, would attest to that. It's hard because you have these dreams for your kids, but then you realize those are your dreams. Hmm. They weren't their dreams. They were your dreams. And, you know, what they want to do is they're going to do great, you know? Yeah. But it's a different world. So, Do you think having your twins on the spectrum, do you think that's sort of what led you down this path to, you know, taking more time to your family? Or do you think that was just maybe like COVID and a reset during that time? I think it was all that. Well, first of all, it's having four kids in general, but having the last two being special needs and the time and energy requirement that that takes, it really changed my outlook on what I was doing with my time. I don't spend a lot of time with buddies playing golf or doing that or the other. I mean, there's just, even with what we have going on in their practice now, there's only so much time. And to be honest with you, I just, I want to be with them. Mm -hmm. Definitely having special needs kids really makes you reevaluate a lot of different things. So you were talking about family, uh, being at Disney earlier. I know you're a big Star Wars fan, Bill. Let's take a second here. We got to geek out. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd much rather talk Star Wars than Orthodontic, so. There we go. Um, So favorite Star Wars movie? There's zero debate. I mean, Empire Strikes Back is the best for sure. And then I go off a little bit. I go to Rogue One, actually, for my second favorite. And um, So why Rogue One? I just thought it was a brilliant film. I really did. And one of the things I loved about Empire was they didn't have to end it happy. You know, for those of us that are old enough, remember, it was three years before we actually got the answer. Is is he really his His father father. or is he just playing with them? You know, it was a long time. Yeah. And I thought the way that Rogue One ended 
I just thought it was the perfect ending to the story of how it had to be. And Hollywood rarely has the guts to do that. You know, right. they, they got to tie it up in a neat little bow at the end. And um, I thought that the way that it was just ended of how it should have ended and they had the guts to do it, I just think made it great. I love Empire too. And, you know, certainly the darker tone or ending to it. And I don't know what that says about our personality. Now, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone can analyze us. But um, just the character development of Empire too, you know, having Irving Kirshner as a director. Oh, and, he was brilliant. You know, yeah. it's like so witty. And, and you know, that's mm-hmm. to, to the actors too, uh, to their credit, right? Um, yeah. But George Lucas's dialogue was pretty awful. But, uh, you know, I know. I know. That, luckily, he let him ad lib a little bit. I mean, like the scene when, and Han's getting ready to get frozen and Leia says, I love you. And he says, I know that was ad libbed. I know. And yeah. that's like yeah. one of the best scenes, yep. right? Yep. yep. So I actually cool. have. So, you know, I'm a Disney nerd too. And so I collect the park pins this past week. I actually bought two pins. One is I love you and one's I know. So yeah. Perfect. But, yeah. I love it. Anyway, enough about the force here, sir. I know I got to get you back to Tampa over the dental monitoring meeting. Uh, love the podcast today. An honor Thank you. to have it you on. an honor to be here. Uh, happy St. Paddy's Day to you, Bill. Cheers, Cheers to you. Guys. Yep. Cheers to you, sir. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to subscribe or follow Illuminate on your favorite podcast app. Also, I'd appreciate if you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. A very special thanks to our sponsors for this episode, that's Strauman Group and Retainer Club. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler behind the boards and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes electric piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to IlluminateOrthoPodcast.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta signing off. If you've listened this far, you've discovered some hidden content beyond the Outer Rim. I hope you enjoy our continued Star Wars banter. This is the way. So how are you feeling about the new season of Mandalorian? The first episode was, you know, a recapper and whatever. And uh, But the second episode I thought was awesome. I haven't watched the third one yet. I've been busy all week, but I have it downloaded on my iPad and, and we'll be watching on the airplane ride home. Awesome. I, yeah, I think The Mandalorian is brilliantly done. John Favreau and, and um, Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni, thank you. Uh, I mean, I thought Filoni was awesome with what he did with Clone Wars and Rebels and everything and, and now to be in live action. I, I really love what they're doing with Star Wars. The last three movies were just garbage. You know, the, the second one was, was okay. But people got all mad because, oh, well, Luke wouldn't go dark. I'm like, dude, Luke was a total whiner back in the day. That was totally <laughs> fit his personality. Yeah. You know, and, and um, I thought that third movie, that the number nine, one of the worst movies ever made. Well, that's a bold statement. You know, I think <laughs> I think we'll look back in 10 years, sort of like we look back at the prequels, right? Like at the time, like people like totally railed on the prequels. I don't know. But I mean, uh, Palpatine, like still oh, coming uh, back. Quebec. I mean, that I was know. just garbage. They just sort of recycled him. Yeah, that was bad.